0: Welcome to Maranata Christian Assembly podcast, where we bring you the Word of God wherever you are. We pray that you be blessed by God's Word this week. Thank you for the kind introduction, Pastor Alvin. Good morning, Good morning, to members of the Maranatha community. It is my pleasure and my privilege to be here with you this morning. Um, I've been here since Wednesday for the Eagles conference, and uh, I would have flown last night back to Manila, but I made a commitment to be with the community here this morning, so I'm flying out tonight uh, in the evening, and. Somehow God just takes care of things and uh, gives me the peace uh, to stay for five days in Singapore despite the fact that next week we will have a big event in the Philippines called the Seniors Happiness Expo. It will be a two-day event at the Paraiso Farm. Paraiso means paradise. And it is a healing farm. It is the happy home for many elderly. And it is a place where every Sunday uh, we feed and we, we, we take care of uh, people uh, between 60 to 90 years old. And our goal is very simple. You know, bring them together to pray, to play, and to party. Because it is our proposition that happy people will live longer. So last year, we were able to take care of over 5,000 sand of the senior citizens uh, in the province. And this year, we're now spreading it to many of the other towns and uh, cities. Because my life's journey has been one of uh, building communities for the Lord. It has been a long faith journey, and I've been called by God to take care not only of, uh, of material poverty, but poverty in its many expressions. Uh, the first uh, poverty I had to address was my own personal material poverty, because I was born to a, a poor family who never owned land or home or car and went to school, walked to school, but education was my door out of poverty. So I got a scholarship at 16 to finish my senior high school in California. And the following year, I was accepted as a full scholar in the top Jesuit university of the Philippines. And those doors led me to multinational jobs, to the world of... uh, to the path of uh, ambition and money. But my difficulty was that uh, uh, it came to me very early that that would not money and power and and career and success in business would not be the source of my own happiness. And so after seven years with Procter & Gamble, as the head of uh, the purchasing and also working in marketing and eventually leaving the company at the, uh, after seven years and became CEO of, uh, of uh, another company. At the age of 34, I was called by God to be a full-time Christian missionary. And uh, not many people were happy with my decision. And the call for me was to address the spiritual poverty. Yeah. And because uh, I could not address the other forms of poverty unless I addressed first my own spiritual poverty for me to really understand what is God's plan for my life. You know? What gifts and talents did He give me that will bring pa- people uh, to prosper in the Lord? So in, at the age of 34, I started uh, this, uh, this uh, ministry, this movement called Copos for Christ to be able to strengthen marriages, strengthen family life. And uh, it brought me to over 100 countries around the world. And we were able to build Copos for Christ in practically every country. Town and city in the Philippines, and then I came to realize that I was a movement builder. That God, it was God's work, and He uses uh, ordinary people like me, without claim to power, to uh, political power or claim to any uh, economic wealth, uh, to be able also to connect. With those who are less loved and less served, and bring them to the Lord. So, the work gained recognition from uh, corporations. I work with uh, over hundred, over seven hundred major corporations, and uh, from the spiritual poverty, uh, God helped me build the army uh, of young people by also. Uh, being the founder of Youth for Christ on June 18, 1993, at that time when my 13-year-old daughter uh, was about to become a teenager. I have four daughters and a son. And uh, I know that it is challenging for parents to to take care of teenagers, especially girls. And I had to surround my children with good boys. And so I started Youth for Christ, and it became the biggest youth ministry in the Philippines and many parts of the world. And, uh, and uh, that's, uh, that ministry eventually led to the next ministry that I started was Singles for Christ. So from Kids for Christ, Youth for Christ, Singles for Christ, and then back to Couples for Christ. And that created uh, the faith journey for many, and it also uh, assured the uh, succession in the movement that we started. So now, Copos for Christ is still strong and healthy in many parts of the world. And uh, the Youth for Christ that uh, were teenagers then, in the 90s, are now running the organization. And uh, so I came to realize that I was doing God's work. I was not there to build an institution that I could own or control. But eventually, from the spiritual, that was also the foundational, I had to really understand what God's plan for us is aside from building communi- for families to now building communities. Because uh, in uh, 1995, my, I felt also that if I continue to ignore the poor in the slums around us, they would become a threat to my family and to my children. And one night that happened, when we woke up midnight by the noise and we saw two men, uh, naked men waist up, ransacking our house. So th- there were thieves inside. It's a good thing that we woke up and we closed our door and uh, our room and turned on the lights and called the police, gave them time to escape. But uh, the following day, I came, it came to me very clearly that uh, they will all, there will always be threats to our children in a poor, underdeveloped country like the Philippines if we ignore uh, the, the poor in the slums around us. And so um, I feel that uh, uh, I, should not be, I should not be overwhelmed by the problem but simply try to seek the Lord's guidance in being part of the solution. And that led me to the biggest slum in the country, I would go there every day for seven years and just to work with uh, over 2,000 criminals, uh, drug dependents, uh, juvenile delinquents. And uh, I had also to use not only prayer and God's protection but also common sense. So I would go there at early morning. I would be there at 6 o'clock in the morning to bring coffee and bread and also... Uh, uh, so that the, the criminals who were still not on drugs or still not drunk and it was safe in the morning in the afternoon it would be dangerous to go there but I also were, was able to get their mothers to join me in uh, preparing breakfast and in preparing also food and engaging their children because I came to realize that even the worst of criminals are afraid of their mother so it was... Uh, uh, it was really common sense community development. But uh, it pained me when we were able to convince many of the criminals to go back to school to start looking at uh, getting jobs. And they surrendered their weapons, their guns, their knives, and, uh, you know, uh, and uh, stop going to, you know, stop engaging in gang activities. But uh, my pain was that 14 out of 2,000 were killed by their enemies. And because I had failed, I was not moving fast enough to transform uh, a place, the environment, the biggest slum was over a million people. And uh, it was painful to see people who have started to really change, who have now started to pray, to worship the Lord, and and, uh, also to look for work and to start going to school, simply to be killed. Because uh, as part of our youth camp, they would, uh, the cere- we would have a ceremony where they would surrender their weapons, you know, as a sign of uh, surrender and a sign also of trust. And that haunted me over the years. Did, was I responsible for the death of this 50, of this 14 uh, young men who, who died? So, uh, But that made me determined. I came to realize it's not just about doing youth camps and uh, giving them preaching, uh, helping them uh, uh, with education, but we had to transform their physical environment. So I came to realize that it's not enough for even individual evangelization or family evangelization. You have to do it for the entire community. And so we started building Gawad Kalinga Homes and uh, providing land for the landless, building homes for the homeless. But I could not do it because I had no money, I had no political power, but then I had the marketing skills to sell the vision. Because at that time, many of the Chinese uh, millionaires were afraid of being kidnapped. And so (laughs) they started, when when they learned that I was working with criminals and trying to make them good citizens, they started to contribute generously. Because the cost of developing a community was better, was was cheaper than paying ransom money, and uh, you know it was uh, that was the beginning of a, a very exciting uh, journey with the Lord, and uh, it was uh, putting faith into action, and so we forayed even to the dangerous uh, uh, rebel territories. Because there were, uh, in Mindanao, there was a conflict between uh, Christians and Muslims. And then I came to realize that uh, the solution to conflict was really uh, just acts of kindness and goodness. And uh, so what happened was uh, we started building uh, uh, communities for the poorest Muslims using Christian volunteers to work side by side with them. And so the most dangerous area I ever went in the Philippines was the Wasulu, where they had this kidnap for ransom terrorists. And uh, I went there. And uh, together with my band of uh, crazy uh, volunteers, we were able to build uh, homes for the Taosug uh, tribe, which is the most warlike of the tribes. And, uh, and in the process, gained the trust, the respect of uh, of uh, the leaders of that community, and it was just amazing just to hear God's voice through the leader of the of the tribe. Uh, and when he proclaimed that uh, as as long as I'm alive, no one will touch that white-haired man, who has become family to us. And because uh, we put the crescent and the cross side by side in all the homes that we build for their for for, for their community, and he said. I want you also to protect his children and, 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 uh, the, and his children's children. So I received a generational blessing from the leader of, uh, of the most dangerous group of people in that area. The same thing that happened when we started to bring the work to other countries, particularly Papua New Guinea. I recall when I first went to Papua New Guinea upon the invitation of the governor and the vice president, to bring peace between two warring tribes. A hundred years ago, they were cannibals. So when I went there, I was just amazed by the welcome because there were sing-sing dancers without, you know, a bare-breasted sing-sing dancers. <laughs> and uh, it was just a totally different world. And it was at the Gerihu District. It was a swampland where they would steal cars and, 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 uh, and uh, remove the parts. And, uh, that's what, and the, the crocodile swamp was the place where people were afraid even the police to go. That's where the criminals escaped. And so, what, because I come from the poor, I knew how to chew betel nut. And, uh, and uh, in Papua New Guinea, they have what they call spitting rights because everyone uh, chews betel nut and they spit everywhere. And, since, and so, they felt I was family when I chewed betel nut. And since I came from a place in the Philippines uh, called Negros where we produce sugarcane, I knew also how to open sugarcane with my teeth. <laughs> and so they were amazed. And they even sang songs about me, about a white-haired man from across the seas who chewed betel nut and opened coconut. You know, and uh, I became family. And they showed me how they used to cook people. <laughs> so in an open pit then they would put yams, they would put herbs, they would put vegetables, but this time they put wallaby or crocodile meat, <laughs> <laughs> and they would put a, a fire over, over it. It was an amazing experience, but uh, I did not even experience fear because at that time, you know, uh, God was bringing me to an adventure, and I got the, en- the, the one tribe to build the homes of their enemy. And the enemy built their homes. And so that's how we brought peace to, 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 to that area. But I was totally out of my comfort zone simply because it's, uh, it's Papua New Guinea. And, uh, and, uh, but the thing here is that uh, uh, it was also an opportunity for us to really speak about uh, God's love, about God's protection, and so on. So anyway... I am 73 years old now. I'm just trying to recall. Why am I still alive now? (laughs) And how did I manage to raise five amazing children? Well, first of all, I brought them to the, you know, I had to surrender my life to the Lord because I felt that I had, I was poor. As a husband, I did not know how to love my wife and I had to learn the love of God first before I could learn to love my wife because I came from a poor family. She came from a rich family. We belonged to two different worlds. She saw the world from the top down. I saw the world from the bottom up and we would often clash even on how we cook fish. (laughs) You know, and uh, so uh, I came to realize that I would have to really understand what is God's plan uh, for me as a husband, as a father. Because I was not trained in school. I don't know if there, is a, if there are schools here in Singapore that teach young men and women how to become a wife or a, a husband or to how to become a good son or how to become a good father or how to become a good mother. So those roles are being, being taken by, over by Christian groups. Like here, I, come, I enter here, I saw little kids, uh, the toddlers, I saw teenagers, I see other members of the family, and so that's exactly also the kind of community that I built in, in Couples for Christ, Kids for Christ, Youth for Christ, Singles for Christ, but God called me to do massive, rapid, global evangelization because He was also preparing me to really do massive, global, social transformation. And I needed the army of believers to help me build communities according to Acts chapter 4, verses 31 to 35. God's community of believers was one heart and one mind. They shared the resources with one another, and there was no needy person among among them. Because the problem of poverty in the world is simple simple, human greed and selfishness. So we have it is really the we have to discover the power of of, of caring. You know, and the power of sharing so that no one will be left behind. And because uh, uh, the mission given to me by, by the Lord was very simple. That was also, uh, this was uh, first from Isaiah and then from the Acts, where it says, you know, uh, the, God, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. You know, He has anointed me uh, to bring uh, uh, glad tidings to the poor, to give sight to the blind, to live, set the captives free, and so on. So, then I came to realize that you can actually put your faith into action. And you can make the scripture alive in the families, in the communities that you build. And then, then that will make it sustainable. That will scale it up. You can do startup, because I'm a development person. And I follow also, I, I move, uh, I uh, address also the, uh, the, the physical, the material, and the financial Poverty, social poverty, by looking at the goals of the u n like the, seven, the the seventeen goals of the sustainable development plan, you see, I have been blessed that because I did not have any claim to to grant uh, to you know, grand resources, I raised the most the, I built the biggest NGO in the Philippines and raised the most amount of resources globally simply by also using the corporate uh, competencies that I get, I, I gained to do God's work. So you combine competence with compassion. And, uh, and so uh, I, I came to realize that evangelization is a numbers game. And, and it's marketing. How do you make the work of God attractive? How can I attract, attract the children of the rich to, to, to be active in uh, to attend our youth camps? So, uh, you know, in marketing, what do you do? You have to create a popular brand. I had to create Youth for Christ as a popular brand. So to get the, you know, the, the proud uh, elite schools to join, like uh, the school where I came from uh, is a uh, Jesuit University, the basketball team that won the championship would not even think of attending the youth camp of Youth for Christ. But then I got the prettiest girls to attend their prom. (laughs) So my daughter, who was also, you know, the girls who were into fashion and uh, who were also uh, 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 celebrities who joined Youth for Christ, I I sent them to the prom of the most uh, elite university. And the following week, the basketball team joined our youth camp. (laughs) And I came to Reyes. I should not, if I want to help the poor, I should not go direct to the poor. Because if I just work with the poor, then we have no resources to sustain the work. Then I came to realize that the Lord, you know, uh, it was His plan that I was born poor. And He gave me the door to, to a good education, to a top corporate job, to become CEO of a business. And then so I could have a choice. But it was not a, a choice of being to be poor, or to be rich, but to be a bridge, because you cannot sustain your programs for the poor if you also do not uh, attract the uh, trust, the support. And so what happened? If you saw in the, you know, I've been able to build all those homes because I had over a million volunteers from Youth for Christ and Singles for Christ. During the Typhoon Haiyan, we were able to to build the uh, homes in the ravaged areas because we raised the most number of volunteers. But that was not difficult because we already had members of Youth for Christ in the typhoon-ravaged areas. We had also members in the top universities. And uh, so, you you know, uh, whether it's uh, evangelization or even politics. Politics is a numbers game. So if you can create a brand that will attract the politicians because then they can see that they could influence the votes. So, I worked with over a a thousand mayors and governors, I worked with five presidents, and they all helped uh, us uh, 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 build the communities in their towns. And how did we do it? Well, the former president of the Philippines saw that because we had such a massive uh, group of Copos for Christ, Youth for Christ, we had Gawad Kalinga, and they felt that we could influence votes. So they would like, they never tried to corrupt me, they just wanted their picture taken with us. And, uh, you know, for the use of the poor, I'm, I, I, I'm available uh, to just uh, sing, dance, pose for pictures, just to be able to do it. But even Shell, the biggest uh, petrochemical company in our country, invited me to, yeah, there. That's their campaign, and that's my picture in all the over a thousand Shell stations throughout the Philippines. I'm a very private person; I'm not public, I'm not celebrity. But in nineteen, in twenty, no, in twenty twenty o five, I allowed the chairman of Shell. He convinced me that if you appear in our commercial, then the whole country will get to know about the good that you're doing, and more people will donate land so that you can build homes for, for the homeless. And then that more corporations will, will be able to also use their CSR. Because again, donations to Gawad Kalinga was tax deductible. And more schools will volunteer. And even the poor themselves will be convinced that you have their best interests at hand. Because the campaign of Shell was malayo mararating, which means, you know, uh, those with big dreams will go far. And that was a six-month program on television, on print, on radio. And it, it was embarrassing when I would have, I would be with my family or friends to have my car filled with gasoline. And the, and the attendants would look at me and, and wonder why I look like the person. <laughs> and, and my children would, you know, would jokingly say, he's the owner of Shell. <laughs> but, you know, for that effort, I did not receive any payment, but, but according to the movie star who had the biggest talent fee, I had the biggest talent fee. I did not receive money, but Shell donated 300 homes for the homeless and in, 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 in one province. So again, it's really a detachment. And uh, I believed in, the, in, in this mantra that if you want to serve God, you are the first to serve and the last to benefit. And also, I believe I have another mantra, less for self, more for others, enough for all. You know, because uh, what is making the world poor is greed and selfishness. So, as you, you know, so, I was invited to join the cabinet by three presidents, and one president when. When I, In the, the last one I was invited, I, I was in LA. They called me and they said, we would like you to be part of the cabinet. And I said, jokingly asked, which cabinet is the medicine cabinet or the kitchen cabinet? <laughs> <laughs> then I came to realize that the message of the Lord was clear to me. You know, that uh, the freedom to serve God, you know, is more important to me than the power to rule. And uh, so I'm here as, as, uh, before you now as an ordinary person. Uh, with no claim to great wealth, to great power. But I have an amazing legacy. Uh, uh, children who have been raised in the faith uh, who are also like my son and daughter, Dylan, were here with me for the Eagles Conference. And uh, they have themselves now built uh, the biggest uh, cosmetic organic and natural cosmetic company in the Philippines called Human Nature And their goal was simply to be able to provide jobs for the beneficiaries of our Gawad Kalinga communities to create farms in their, in, in, their, uh, in their value chain, in their supply chain, in the provinces to also help the farmers who were living in our communities. And uh, the thing here is that they're, so, they're committed Christians, and they could actually be a much bigger global brand, but they don't open their stores on Sunday because Sunday is a day for God and for family. But you know, before it was difficult to get to all the supermarkets and to the malls simply because Sunday is the busiest uh, day for shoppers and the malls did not want to accept their brand. But it became so popular that the malls had to compromise and they allowed them to sell for six, to have their stores for six days and then close on a Sunday. But recognition was in 2016, human nature was chosen in in Paris in uh, the Champ elysees They were chosen as the most sustainable beauty brand pioneer in the world. And in in 2017, my daughter, Anna, who is president and the founder of the organization, she was chosen as uh, the first Asian woman of the year of the entire cosmetic industry of the world, you know, for her pioneering work. So again, we are just out there uh, doing, you know, ordinary acts of kindness and planting goodness so that we can harvest peaceful communities but then you do do the Lord's work so every 7 years I kick myself out when I reach the highest po- point of glory then I resign I retire from the work so I got out first 7 years I was in a covenant community to start Couples for Christ for 7 years after that I had to get out of couples and focus on youth and singles and after that the social ministry called Gawad Kalinga and now at 73 now, I took seven years of vacation, I, of isolation. I want to discover the power of silence so, uh, so that I went from the, the highest glory when I won as the social entrepreneur of the world and I received $1 million. It's equivalent to the Nobel Prize. It's the Skoll Award for, for, social, uh, for uh, social entrepreneurship. And I gave that all to the poor. But after that... Uh, after my my dinner with emmanuel macron in paris i completely shut out my social media no facebook no no twitter nothing and i went into isolation in a farm to heal myself because i was haunted i was at, i was at that time about 66 years old and old age was creeping in and i was dealing with my own uh, incurable sickness called psoriasis and depression set in, and the, the demons of the past, the, the people who died, uh, building uh, uh, the communities that we built. Because even the Muslim leaders were killed by their own, by their own enemies, uh, who, their political enemies. And I think they have a term for it called Rido. And those are amazing people who wanted to do good for their communities and even the, the person who started uh, the the Gawad Kalinga with me, in the biggest slum, uh, you know, he wa- he became the leader of uh, about a million people. He became the, and uh, but he was uh, shot to death uh, by his enemy, uh, because he also stopped the, uh, the, the 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 distribution of drugs in, in the slums. And I was there with uh, and I was looking at him lying there with four bullet wounds in his head. And uh, I was just overwhelmed, you know, with guilt. Did I cause his death? Because he became very popular building all of these homes and uh, helping so many people. Did I cause his death? And that really forced me to go into seven years of silence. Because, again, I was no longer hearing the Lord. I was hearing myself. And I was at the height of glory, in giving lectures in Harvard, in Oxford, in Yale, in Cambridge, everywhere. Even in Singapore, I was here... <coughs> Practically every two, three months uh, to speak at SMU, uh, Yu Nanyang, and, and so on. And then, uh, and then the Lord just simply said, you know, you know, just stop and let go. So seven years of, uh, of silence and uh, to be able to hear the Lord again. And then he healed me of my psoriasis. He restored my sanity because at that time I was, I discovered I was also, I had uh, inflammation of the brain which caused an, an, and a leak in my gut and uh, because of the extreme stress that I failed to address and so on. But, but last year, he called me again because I went into my space of nothingness, no contact, no public speaking. Now, the last speaking engagement I had was in in the East Coast for a, a graduate uh, for the alumni of harvard you know the the, the financial people you know of who who, uh, who were descendants of those who created Morgan Stanley and many other financial institutions they invited me there, but after that, I was no longer hearing the Lord I was hearing myself, and all the every week you're in the newspaper you're in the front page you get attacked you know and the the saddest thing is when you're attacked also by by the religious leaders you know and they said do not serve in Gawad Kalinga because Tony Miloto is anti-life because he partners with my pharmaceuticals that sell condoms and contraceptives my god what's a ridiculous issue I said post reproductive what do I have to do with (laughs) with birth control So anyway, you know, all the mud will be thrown at you, and they will also hurt your family, and hurt your ministry. So, you know, last now this year, the Lord said, uh, "Get out of, uh, get out there again, and uh, help those who are, who do not have the voice, who do not have the face, the many senior citizens like you who are suffering. Good, you have children. Good, you have so many friends. You have." all of this uh, uh, wealth of experiences from the past, but how about the, the indigent elderly? They're lonely. And I came to realize that the greatest form of poverty that I ever faced was the poverty of old age and the loneliness that comes with it. And it affects not only the poor, it affects also the very rich. And so you see the old people in the most developed countries are very lonely. And so... I started the ministry, uh, it, it became very real to me when the, the, the volcano Taal erupted and, uh, and uh, many of the elderly had difficulty coping with the calamity, so we fed about a thousand every day for two weeks. But God spared also the farm because it was so close to the crater, we're 17 kilometers away but the wind shifted direction and moved all the ashes to Manila. So Manila was hit, but the farm was. So what we did was just, uh, we realized we have so much, so many, a lot of uh, farm uh, produce that we could cook and deliver to all the evacuation centers. But then the following month, uh, March, then COVID struck. And so we started the Seniors Faith Club to just uh, give uh, uh, the lonely elderly you know one day of happiness one day of christmas every month so we called it the seniors faith club we gathered 200 of them every month we they would they would pray they would play they would party and now from once a month we also now have a group that gathers every week every sunday so when you come to paraiso uh, the elderly poor uh, have free food they go home with a week supply of vegetables uh, eggs and and, and and fruits and so on but then I came to realize that so many other areas want to start the program so from again being you know from being a private being private uh, being silent now you have to come to Singapore this is the first speaking engagement in many years that I have accepted you know and uh, and and so I came I, I saw so many friends I saw uh, people uh, who were there and uh, I, I met them 10 years ago here in Singapore and now the, the, the Lord is saying that you are not too old to dream again I am not done with you yet and uh, you, uh, he called me to really uh, find my joy by giving happiness to the sad and the lonely and he, he called me that in, as a wounded healer that he would heal me by healing those who have more pain than me. And so, anyway, this is where I am now. I'm flying back to Manila tonight. I'm with the poor in the morning, I'm with the rich in the afternoon, and I'm with my wife at night. So, (laughs) God gave me the best balance in the way that uh, Anna and Dylan, my children, in their business, they have also, they have balanced family, business, and ministry, and mission, so, I, I don't know, I'm just uh, happy to be here, spend my, my day of uh, Sunday of worship with, with you. And uh, hopefully, like Alvin, I can invite many of you to come to the Philippines and also worship with us and also uh, cook food for the senior citizens. And <laughs> and, uh, but I have, the Lord gave me an inspiration, and I discussed this with many Singaporeans yesterday we will start now also our, our partnership here in singapore because many singaporean employers have filipino domestic workers at home who are getting old and they one particular lady named lily she said that her her uh, domestic worker for 20 years is scared to go home because she has nothing to go home to and so i said well we can build build a retirement we're building a retirement village for senior citizens, and maybe we can partner with Singapore employers so that uh, they will have a place where they can stay and the employer can come and visit them and maybe spend a week with them because many of our domestic workers here have become family to the Singaporean employees. But we can do this in Malaysia or or Indonesia because, again, uh, if it's the Lord's work, it will be much bigger than the very small vision that our mind can ever come up with. So... I'm sharing this with you after just discussing this idea. But then if it's coming from the Lord, next time I see you, perhaps you will see that it will become real. So this is it. I just, uh, I'm, <laughs> I don't know. I, he, I'm just a storyteller. <laughs> and I don't know why so many people believe in the, the many things that God wants me to tell them. They happen. And so then you realize that it's so easy to let go because it's God's work. It's not yours to own or control. So now I am happy because now uh, uh, God has given me the chance to meet Pastor Alvin and to be part of his congregation and uh, for you also to be able to see that in, in the Philippines, you have a community, you have a farm, and maybe you want to send your teenagers to, because the Philippines is a country that Singapore should invest in because we are a country that does not have any excuse to be poor. We are a country of opportunities because we have so much rich land. You don't have land here. And we have vast human capital, very intelligent, creative people. You know, you're, there's so much pressure for, 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 for this country to go higher and higher, you know. But then you can always, I can, I can build a farm. So the Koreans now are coming to me, they want to build also their own farm resort for the retiring Koreans who want to live in the Philippines or at least spend the time in the, in, in the, in, in, in the farm when it's cold in Korea. And so we're also now starting to attract Filipinos in America and in Europe because they want to come home and maybe they want to spend half of the year in, in, in the U.S. Because it's lonely for many old people to ever imagine after all their hard work, after all their sacrifices for their children, they'll end up alone in a nursing home. So, well, maybe, uh, uh, like I said, uh, that, 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 the, the age from 60 to 90, where I am now, could, sp- could still be the happiest and the most meaningful season of our life.